Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Everyone and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am Jonathan Strickland, one of the two hosts, and I am Lauren Vogelbaum, the other of the two hosts. Logically, there we go. Uh, today we thought we would start talking about a particularly important company as far as uh, the web and technology are concerned. It's kind of big. You may have heard of it. Yeah, it's called uh, Amazon. Yeah. Um, big, big company, and also one of the companies that that famously weathered the great storm of the dot com crash. Yeah, yeah. Because they started up way before that thing happened, like five entire years. Yeah, and yeah. And, and but you know what? Not a lot of companies that were specifically web based can make the claim that they started pre dot com and made it through. Made it through. Couple yeah. did. Google did. Another thing that you may have heard of. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, Amazon has become really a powerhouse. But to to understand where it is now, it's it's good to look at at how it started and really. Amazon's kind of one of those companies, even though even though I would say the founder is not necessarily as well known as someone like Steve Jobs was. Oh, right. Sure. He's not that kind of level of rock star. But nonetheless, his personality has really driven the way that the company has developed. And and yeah, I mean, without him, without his drive and without his his vision uh, and frankly, without the mistakes he's made, mm-hmm. Amazon would not be what it is. And we're talking, of course, about Jeffrey Preston Bezos. Preston. Preston's his middle name. That's a terrific middle name. Yeah, it makes me think of, of Princeton, which he also went to. But that's <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, but yeah, you, you need to know a little bit about him to understand uh, you know, where Amazon's coming from and sort of the goals of the company and where it might be going to. So to cast back the clock to, uh, to the mid-60s, uh, you, you need to understand uh, a little bit about his, uh, his family background. So his mother... Uh, was Jacqueline Geis Jorgensen. 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 Uh, she, she had married, briefly, a man by the name of Ted Jorgensen. Uh, they were married less than a year. And but she clearly wanted to keep that name. Well, she lo- she lost Jorgensen. Oh. Uh, no, she, but that was that, that was her name at the time. But then she, she became Jacqueline Geis again. Uh, and I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's G-I-S-E. So feel free to write us in and say how wrong Jonathan is. I love those emails. (laughs) Yes. Now, now she gets them. So, um, yeah, Jacqueline Geis, uh, married to Ted Jorgensen, uh, and she gets pregnant and then, uh, they divorce. Uh, well, there was a, a fellow by the name of Miguel Bezos, better known as Mike, and he grew up in Cuba, but he took part in a, there was actually a program that sort of helped people who were trying to escape Castro's regime mm-hmm. to get into the United States. And he was, uh, uh, it was a program aimed at, at younger people. He was one of these people. So he came over to the United States as a young teenager. Like he was oh, 15, wow. 15 years old. Oh my goodness. Doesn't speak English. Uh-huh. He goes to live in a, uh, a, a, a small community where he's with, I think, 15 other people from Cuba. From Cuba who had just come over. And he learns English and he start, he goes to school and, uh, and really applies himself. And eventually he goes to attend school in Albuquerque, New Mexico and starts to work in the bank of New Mexico. And that's where he meets Jackie Geis. And, uh, Miguel and Jackie ended up falling in love. Mm-hmm. And they ended up getting married. And so uh, then Miguel applied for and became the adopted father of Jeff 
Bezos. He, oh. Je- Jeff took the name of his, of his, uh, uh adopted dad. Sure. And in all interviews, Jeff talks about Mike as being his father. Aww. He says that, you know, it's, it, he may not be his biological father, but he's, but his, he's dad. his dad. Yeah. Right. That's very sweet. And uh, and specifically in several interviews, they all cited the same statement where he said, the only time I ever think about him not being my biological father is when I have to fill out a form, <laughs> which is, you know, that's just a it, it says a lot about who who Mike Bezos is really. Right. Right. And so. Uh, he grew up with, you know, his, his parents were very hardworking. They believed very much in scholarship. And, uh, and so he really started to apply himself. Uh, his father, uh, Mike, became a petroleum engineer for Exxon. Huh. Uh, after he graduated college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Jeff ended up really getting interested in science and electronics and engineering and particularly in space. Uh, hmm. that'll come into play a little bit later. But he spent Childhood summers working on his grandfather's ranch in Cotula, Texas. And everyone in Cotula who knows that I just mispronounced <laughs> the name of your town, I apologize. There, there are places in Texas that I attempt to say the name of and I, I always mangle it. Many, many places in America, honestly. There's yeah. re- really words are, well, words are hard. It, it's particularly tough in places like Georgia and Texas where you have the regional pronunciation of a place that is right. not the same as the Pronunciation of some other place. Pronunciation, yeah, yeah. I think we've talked before on the show about Ponce de Leon. Yeah, Ponce de Leon Avenue street around here. Yeah, Yeah. great street, but uh, yeah, you do not call it Ponce de Leon. It's Ponce de Leon. Um, Yeah, same sort of thing. So I, I know I mispronounced that. I apologize to to Texas. I do apologize. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, his grandfather, uh, his grandfather's name was Lawrence Preston Pop Geis. Pop in uh, quotation marks there, so known as Pop, and uh, he was a he was a bit of a a go getter, uh, someone who really kind of applied himself. Uh, he had worked for DARPA. Oh, uh, he had helped develop space and missile defense technology. Uh, Congress eventually appointed him as the manager of the Atomic Energy Commission's Albuquerque Operations Office, and oh, he wow. oversaw twenty six thousand employees. Oh my goodness gracious! So, uh, so, so, so people in in Jeff's life had this kind of drive, yeah, and, and yeah. it definitely rubbed off on him. Yeah, and, and his grandfather apparently just doted upon him, and uh, the he, he really encouraged Jeff in his love of things like electronics and technology. Not a big surprise for someone who's technically a rocket scientist type, <laughs> right? Right? Yes. Maybe not technically a rocket scientist, but but some, works in that field. Sometimes nerds like to talk about the nerd things that they are excited about. No, yeah. no, that's not a mark of a nerd. <laughs> a passion for a subject and to talk endlessly about it. I don't know anything about. Anyway, let me get on with Amazon. Uh, so Bezos's childhood, really. He um he started to build kits to help him build electronics and, okay. and various gadgets. Uh, he actually there was a great story about how. Uh, he saw this toy that was uh, a mechanical electronic toy that was a, a box that had mirrors in it, and it was it called an infinity cube. And you would press okay. a button, and the mirrors would align in such a way to give that illusion of infinity. Of infinity, sure. But the toy was twenty dollars. Twenty, and yeah. this was this was in the mid seventies. Yes. Yeah, this would be ish. Yeah, yeah, right, early seventies actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe even no, it would have to be early seventies. There's no way it was when he was four. But, uh, <laughs> but yet, his his mother told him that twenty dollars was too much to spend for a toy, and mm-hmm. he thought, oh well, you know that makes sense. And he looked at around and he started to find parts, and he figured out that buying all the parts 
would be cheaper than buying the toy. So he bought the parts and built one himself. Oh, just, yeah, like you do. I did that all the time when yeah. I was a child. Yeah, I no, just I, made my own toys. I remember I made tinker toys by bashing sticks together until they formed a pile. Uh, anyway, uh, Bezos ended up being the, the subject of part of a book. The book was called Turning on Bright Minds, A Parent Looks at Gifted Education in Texas. And uh, and it it kind of it, it talked about him, although it changed his name for um, uh, for, for legal purposes. Right, exactly. It's a minor. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, as in minor, as in underage, not as in let's go get some coal out of that part of the ground. Uh, he he was featured in this book. What was funny was that they talked to other teachers who who had taught Pezos, uh-huh. and and they had said that he was very intelligent. Uh, he did very well in school, but. He was not particularly particularly gifted in leadership. Oh, which is you know. Wow, that's got to be. He hmm. he obviously developed those skills later on in life. Somewhere else, yeah, yeah. must so, have found him. <laughs> apparently so. Well, uh, like I said, he was fascinated by space and the space industry, and he wanted very early on to kind of look into creating sort of a privatized approach to the space industry because mm-hmm. having having it just in government hands meant that you had a pretty narrow set of parameters you could work within because you had to do everything according to government approval. Sure. You know. and, uh, and he also really felt that it was important to develop plans in the event that Earth could become the, uh, the, the victim of some sort of interspatial collision. So we're, you know, like a, like a meteor, meteor sure. coming or mm-hmm. asteroid or right. comet or, right. you know, Death Star. So he was, so, yeah. Yeah. He, he sat there and said, you know, we, it doesn't make sense for us to have all our eggs on the Earth basket. <laughs> we should spread our eggs around. That's to other little planet basket. That came out of, differently than I, awkward. in my head. Yeah. But anyway, yes, that's exactly what he was thinking was that we need to diversify. Yeah. And, and, and the idea of a non-government space program at the time, I mean, if this was still like, like late seventies, yeah. that was, that was relatively radical. I mean, to, I'm, obviously people talk about it all the time now that the space shuttle program has been shut down, but yeah, no, this was, this was pretty, pretty crazy stuff. And he was very much interested in it. Uh, and, and that was an interest that didn't go away from, with childhood. Uh, well, and like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that, uh, probably in part two of our Amazon uh, focus. Yeah, because, we're, we're expecting that we're going to talk a lot about this one. Yeah, it's a it's it's a company that's not only large and not only interesting in its history, but it does a lot of stuff. A now. lot of stuff. It does not just ship you books. Nope, not anymore. Uh, so anyway, uh, he then ended up. Going into high school, he co-founded a student summer camp called Dream Institute. And Dream was an acronym that standed for Directed Reasoning Methods. And I love, love, love this because not only did they stress science curricula, Mm -hmm. but also literature. Huh. Stranger in a Strange Land was required reading. (laughs) So was Dune. So was Lord of the Rings. So you sit there and you think, and and, and there were other, uh, Actual books that, that people would say fit in the world of literature. I know some people would argue that Dune and Lord of the Rings don't. I am not one of those people. I think Dune and Lord of the Rings have a real place in literature, but I know some people look down on it because it's science fiction. Because and it's fantasy. science fiction, and but yeah, yeah, that's I've I, I certainly had a poetry teacher in college who would argue with you, but you're right. No, I had a creative writing teacher who told me that in creative writing, he actually 
came up to me and said, now, Jonathan, I want you to write real fiction. Because my father's Snap. a science fiction author. Uh-huh. You know, my dad yeah. writes science fiction. Yeah. So, oh, Well, I mean, at the same time, you know, I had I had that one professor who was very down on it, but I also had another professor who assigned us those sort of books for required right. reading. So a, it both, it, it you know. I had a medieval literature professor who would quote Tolkien and was probably the probably That's- probably the biggest geek in the class. <laughs> and boy, he was great. Uh, anyway, all of that aside, yes, uh, he he designed this curriculum along with uh, another student, and it was for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. So this oh, wow. is when he's when cool. he's getting into like huh. uh, he's looking into college at this point, forming this, and and uh, it was I think six hundred dollars to get in, and I think they had fifteen students apply, two of them being Bezos's uh, <laughs> siblings, but mm-hmm. other than that. Um, you had uh, other kids in there too, and it was just—it was interesting that it was taking this approach, and they really stressed the fact that it was a new approach that also incorporated classic learning material. So right. it wasn't just you know this space age form of learning. They said mm-hmm. no, the classics are important too, and uh, uh, I found that particularly fascinating. It reminds me very much of a program I went to when I was in high school called the Governor's Honors Program, that was very much stressing about. It stressed uh, uh, various forms of learning in a very concentrated way, but you were with a whole bunch of other people who were really, really jazzed about that. Uh-huh. So it made learning the entire yeah uh, Renaissance kind of concept of learning that says that both science and also arts are kind of important. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was that was a, an interesting approach. Uh, he then, uh, when he graduated high school, he then went to Princeton, uh, and his in his senior year, uh, he received. Well, before I get to his senior year, he actually at first thought about majoring in theoretical physics. But, uh, right, right. You were telling me about this. Yeah. But decided that, that actually the other kids in theoretical physics were better at theoretical physics than he was. Yeah, and he didn't like that. And he didn't like that. No, and it wasn't so, it wasn't so much that he didn't like that there were people who were better at it than he was. Sure, but he was just, he just realized that that was not his niche. Yeah, exactly. He was like, there are people that whose brains are wired in a different way than my brain is wired. And these people are grasping these concepts easily. They are doing really well in these classes. I'm struggling. Uh, it's a lot more work for me. Maybe there's something else I should look into. And so instead, he, he went into computer science mm-hmm. instead of theoretical physics. By the way, both of those fields, way more complicated than anything I ever did in college. So, you know. Right, right. For for the record, the, the two of us English majors, you were... I was, yeah, I was yeah. English. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, English major. I wasn't actually, I wasn't English and then converted into Southern United States. No, that wasn't me. Uh, I was always, so anyway. Accents so, are very similar. Y'all. He, uh, then joined, well, he, in his senior year, he was invited to join various companies. Uh, he received job offers from Intel, little company there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bell Labs, another one. Uh-huh. Uh, Anderson Consulting. But he ended up, Instead, accepting an offer to join a startup company called Fitel, F-I-T-E-L. And this was a company that was trying to build a telecommunications network that was for trading companies like, like, uh, like finance organizations. Oh, okay. And uh-huh. the whole purpose was just to settle cross-border equity transitions. Exciting stuff. That sounds thrilling. But, but it meant building a network. And right. this is, we're talking about the same time when, uh, when, ARPANET is is going strong. The internet is a is starting to take form at this to be point. A thing, yeah. Yep. Pretty soon we're going to have the web there too, and uh, and so he's definitely seeing that's where. 
the exciting stuff is happening. That's right, what right. I want to be involved and in. With. And in finances specifically, that's where he got his financial uh, acumen. Uh, yeah. Yes. Analytics yeah, background. He got pretty. He got pretty good at that, and he ended up working for Fitel for a little while, and then left that for a company called Bankers Trust, where he stayed for two years, and then he left that company to join a hedge fund firm called D. E. Shaw. Uh, and while he was at D. E. Shaw, he met a research associate by the name of McKinsey whom he uh, became enamored of. This -hmm. was after he had had an unsuccessful attempt to analytically find the right woman (laughs) for him. Uh, He tried something that he called (laughs) woman flow, which to him meant finding using the the analysis that you would use in finance to find a woman. That sounds like the absolute worst idea I have heard all day. Yeah, it did not work. Uh, (laughs) Turns out it was a, a failed experiment. I cannot. I cannot even imagine that. Yeah. That. Um. Wow. And and and. But but decades before Match. dot com, so he was really <laughs> ahead of the curve. Well, more like more like five years, because at this point okay. we're getting into the nineties. Okay. Never but, mind. But uh, yeah. But he he uh yeah he ended up meeting McKinsey, and uh, the two of them ended up getting married in nineteen ninety three, and uh, then at D E Shaw he was put in charge of developing business opportunities for the thing called the Internet. The Internet? Yeah. And uh, that's when he started to think this might be the right place to really focus on business because as he was looking into it, he realized that there was a growth on the Internet, a growth of uh, users, I should say, not just mm-hmm. some weird growth. <laughs> That'd be gross. <laughs> now, this, the, the, that more and more users were joining the Internet at an incredible rate, like 23 Hundred percent increase from one year to the next. Right. And he said, well, with this kind of increase, there's huge amounts of opportunity. So how could we take advantage of this, this fact? And, uh, it all depends on, on the story you read, but eventually he came up with the idea of, well, with the assets that are already in place Mm -hmm. in the United States, the fact that there were two really big book distributors in the United States, and those were uh, Ingram and Baker and Taylor. Mm-hmm. These two enormous entities have exhaustive databases of titles mm-hmm. uh, of books. So all the work of organizing the books, of cataloging the books, it's all been done. Sure. So all that really needs to happen is there needs to be some sort of website where someone who is interested in books could go look up any book that's ever been published and find out if they can buy it. Mm-hmm. And so at first he kind of talked about this over at D.E. Shaw, but it was clear that that wasn't going to really pan out there. Right. And so instead he made a big decision in his life, and that was he was going to leave this company. And he was the youngest executive mm-hmm. at Yeah, he, Shaw. he was a vice president there. Yeah. But – he 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 met with the 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 company's the head of the company who whom he was friends with mm-hmm. and he said uh i'm going to i'm going to leave and start my own company and that's exactly what the founder of de shaw Aww. shaw had done uh-huh. uh, he but he said uh you know you're you're going to be leaving behind security mm-hmm. and uh, and a debt and, and you know you, you've got guaranteed success in this company right and he said i'm still gonna do it yeah and so and, and yeah i mean he wasn't just talking about leaving i mean this was a wall street company he was talking about moving across the country yeah yeah he he and his wife ended up taking a uh a, a bit of a, a scenic tour of the united states driving mm-hmm. all the way out to seattle and uh the the you might ask well why why did they go to seattle why was that 
the the birthplace of Amazon. Why out of all the places in the United States? There are a few reasons. Uh, one reason is that Seattle happens to be close to one of Ingram's distribution facilities. Now, Ingram's, of course, one of the uh, one of those big book com- distributors. Exactly. Sure. So, by being close to the d- distribution facility, it would make it a lot easier to ship books out to customers. Convenient. Yes. Yeah. Another reason is that the state of Washington, which, for those of you who do not know, Seattle is a city that is in the state of Washington. State of Washington, in comparison to other states in the U.S is fairly sparsely populated. Mm -hmm. The reason why that's important is that as a business operating within the state of Washington, anyone who purchased an item in the state of Washington would have sales tax added to their purchase Uh in the United States. This is kind of complicated, guys. So generally speaking, the way the sales tax was working, at least at that point, was that if you bought the, you know, the sales tax applied if you were within the same state as the as the entity. person selling you the thing, yeah. Outside of that, uh, different rules applied. So essentially, Bezos's idea was that okay, I'm going to be close to the books, and I won't have to, to add sales to add tax. Sales tax, which is a complication. It's a whole other logarithm, right? And it also ends up making customers less happy, sure, right? Because they course. have to spend more money to buy something. You know, you're mm-hmm. quoted a price, and then sales tax is put on top of it, and you mm-hmm. oh. and you go, it's a whole dollar more. Oh no. Oh. Yeah, I wanted to eat today. That, oh, yeah, that's... yeah. I had I had days like that. Oh so, no, me too, me too. Uh, I, had, <laughs> I had I had that five cent ramen. Why can't I afford you day? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Guess I'll just be licking the this this piece of plastic that once held American cheese. <laughs> I guess it's free again. pizza in the square again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sign up for another credit card. Good days. Um, anyway, so uh, these were the reasons why he had decided to to move to Seattle. And on the way there, he actually worked on a business plan for this company. And he, like, like on his laptop in the passenger seat while right. his wife was driving, yeah. kind of worked on. Yeah, yes. exactly. Like, like, look over there, Mount Rushmore. Can't talk working on business plan. <laughs> um, and he ended up uh, stopping off in California before heading up to Seattle. And there he ended up uh, uh, recruiting his first employee, Shell Kappen. Uh, who was employee number one at Amazon, and uh, that was a he was a programmer. So this is the okay. guy who's going to help build the actual software to that, make the site run. Right, exactly. So because you know Amazon's more than just a website. You've got you've got the website part, which is the forward facing part of the company. That's the part mm-hmm. the customer sees. The visible. Yeah. Yes. So so you and I we think of Amazon as a website. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen in the background for the for the actual business. Huge of Amazon amounts to of in- infrastructure of, yeah. uh, of 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 database management and uh, yeah, it's credit card systems exactly. and all sorts of stuff. Right. So so he had to get someone who was a a a strong programmer and uh, shell ended up being his first recruit. And, uh, and according to the interviews I read, it sounds like he must've been incredibly persuasive because shell came across as something of um glasses, half empty kind of guy. Uh-huh. To be fair, he had worked for several companies that did not go anywhere. So he, sure. he kind of expected it to be another one of those. And uh, uh, according to one interview I read with Bezos, Bezos was said, hey, I needed that guy because he was the one who's like, okay, no, that's not going to work. Let's try it this way. I already know that's not going to work because I did it before and it didn't work. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, at a certain point, that's a, that's a very important thing in a start, start up. Yep. Uh, and then they also ended up hiring a or, or 
at least contracting a guy named Paul Barton Davis, and they built the first version of Amazon.com. And of course, this is a story about a company that has its roots in technology. That means the very first version of Amazon.com was built in a garage. Oh, yeah. Because like like all good bands have started yeah. on the West Coast. Of I mean, America. there's so many other companies we could talk about that had you know that that start in a garage, like Apple and Microsoft, and Microsoft are both. both yeah, Google mm-hmm. had its uh, first servers in a garage. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, once you got outside of the, uh, granted, they had servers in in college, but then once it became its own thing, the servers lived in a garage. So yeah, garages play a big important role. In technology, uh, oddly enough, they almost never house a car, but they are still very important. Uh, and then Bezos and his his uh, other employees, they ended up meeting with a bunch of angel investors. Uh, and angel investors are not these guys in business suits and big fluffy white wings. Um, they are people who are specific- or vampires with a heart of gold. Right. Neither of those. Neither of those things. Okay. Well, I guess it depends on who, again upon whom you ask, but. Um, these are these are folks who end up investing in often risky ventures with the hope mm-hmm. that this investment's going to pay off in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, he met with about fifteen of them, and together they invested about one million dollars of seed capital. Oh wow! Uh, in Amazon, uh, one of those fellows was a guy by the name of Tom Alberg, and he was uh, the first board member of Amazon. And so with that million dollars uh, invested, the company of Amazon incorporates, mm-hmm. and they incorporate in July 1994. And uh, there's a lot more to say, but before we get there, I think it's important we take just a quick break to talk about our sponsor. And now back to the show. So the company is incorporated in 1994. A year later, July 1995, Amazon.com officially launches. And they sell their first book. Do you happen to know what that was? I do happen to know what that was. Hit it's- me with your knowledge. <laughs> Here it comes. Um, it is the Fluid Concepts and Creative Analogies, Computer Models of the Fundamental Mechanisms of Thought. A real page turner. <laughs> actually, it's, it actually sounds pretty cool to me, but then I, I think it's probably also way over my head. But yes, that was the first title purchased. And uh, of course, because... You have Bezos there, and he's kind of a nerdy engineer type, and you've got these other guys there who I'm guessing also shared some of that interest. They might, they might have been. A little they bit. they decided. To, did you hear about what they rigged up to their computer? No, I did not. So they rigged up a bell, uh-huh. and the idea was that the bell would ring every time they made a sale. <laughs> so you know, sale, bing, and you know, uh-huh. and I don't know if any of you guys out there in podcast land have ever worked for a company that kind of did something like this. I used to work for a company that would occasionally do one of those things where you'd land a big deal and then everyone starts, yay, and applauding and running around. And it felt like I was in a pep rally and I wanted to be out of there so badly. <laughs> yeah, I essentially never want anything on the internet to make noise or or a computer. I, I, I want complete silence. Yeah, we're writers. So that, we're yeah, writers. We don't, yeah. we don't like we don't like that. No. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it turns out they didn't like it either. Uh, <laughs> well, mostly because it became a problem because the site ended up getting a lot more popular than they expected, a lot faster than they expected. And so uh, within two weeks, they had dismantled it because <laughs> it was driving everyone bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Within within their first month, they had shipped books to all 50 states and 45 other countries. Yeah, which was a big surprise to them. They were not – they didn't really think that they were going to get uh, international 
business that quickly. Right, right. And uh, by the end of September, so remember they launched in July, by the end of September 1995, their revenues were about $20,000 per week. Uh, and by the end of 1995 itself, they made $510,000 in sales. Now that sounds like a pretty good first run, especially, you know, you figure they, they started seven months into the year. They didn't right, have a sure. full year. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make, to make a half million in sales, not bad. However, keep in mind that Amazon.com is the kind of operation that, uh, that that costs a lot of money to run, mm-hmm. and I mean they were already a little bit in the in the red technically from uh, from all of that startup yeah, seed money. Yeah, so. so you know you've got money that you're going to have to pay back in some mm-hmm. way. Of course, most of those guys essentially what what happens is they own shares oh, in okay. the company. But Rather but than, yeah, you, right. you still have you still you know they still expect a return on their investment. Huh, right. Uh, so you've got you've got a lot of obligations to make. So uh, it'll be a while a before few years. before Amazon. Becomes we'll profitable. let you know when. Yeah. In fact. Uh, if you're waiting to hear that information in part one, I'm just going to go ahead and burst your bubble. <laughs> part two, well, it'll, it won't be until we're into part two before we get to Amazon becoming a profitable company. Mm-hmm. But uh, but actually, which, that's part which of is, the amazing part of the yeah, story. Yeah, which is incredible because it's – yeah, if it, if it incorporates in, in 1994, starts shipping in 1995, and it is until after the year 2000 that – Before they're pop, before they're profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and, and to, to express how amazing this is to someone like myself, I look at companies now that generally speaking, you know, they, they launch and within a couple of years, if things are still kind of rocky, mm-hmm. people tend to pull support and yeah. they, they don't, they fall apart and pretty they, quickly. They fall apart. Yeah. Uh, so seeing a company that was this ambitious, this large, yeah. I mean, they were making lots of sales. They're making a lot of money, but their, their costs outweighed their revenue. Yeah. So it sounds like, it sounds like, um, Business's personal attitude about business was a huge contributor to that. Like yes, that he, has, he has always been extremely focused on the long run and on no, no, no. If we if we create the service, if we make it just just kick butt, then people, you know, it's if if you build it, they will come. Kind yeah, of, kind exactly. Of and and what was amazing was not just that Bezos really believed this, but he was able to convince other people. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because right? without that, without convincing other people, you don't move forward. Uh-huh. Uh, speaking of moving forward, in yeah. nine, in ninety six, uh, a few things happened in Amazon. They launched the Amazon dot com Associates program. Uh, and the uh, which was an affiliate marketing program. So mm-hmm. associates, Amazon's done a lot of stuff in order to kind of uh, not just get its name out there, but to reward people to for reward helping. people for helping them, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the associates program was a program that let let you uh, put in links in your web page. To, to earn commissions through any click-through sales that happen, and any time that a friend clicks the link and then buys something, you get, you know, yeah, like a like up to ten percent of mm-hmm. whatever the value was of the sale. So, so for instance, if you were, here's a good example, uh, uh, and I mean, there's no af- direct affiliation between my podcast and this website. I just want to make that clear. But chud.com, mm-hmm. which I've talked about many times, I like to use that example because I like the website. Mm-hmm. But it's all about uh, movie news, and and they had. They were part of this affiliate program where, uh, you know, they talked a lot about different movies, especially like when movies would come out on DVD. And so mm-hmm. they would do a review, which meant that you could click through and actually buy the movie that, that you know, you're that reading a review. About. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could just buy it with one, you know, go through to Amazon and buy it there. And it meant that you were not only getting to participate in the film that was being discussed, but you were also supporting the website that you loved mm-hmm. because Chud would get 
a little bit of money every time someone would do that. Uh, so that's an example of that. And that's just the first of many examples of how Amazon started to partner with other people, entities, organizations. Um, and, uh, it, you know, the way it worked was essentially you would receive monthly payments based upon the orders that came through from your from site. From your site. So I think what would happen is like someone would order something from a link that was on your site. Uh, 30 days after they had ordered that, or, um, or at the end of that month, another 30 days, that's when you would get the checks in. Mm-hmm. So you could easily get an idea of how, how persuasive you were <laughs> based upon the size of the check. Here's a check for $1.25. Oh. <laughs> it's time to go to Taco Bell. Um, um, and then in 97, Amazon made a big move. It went public. Yep, they held their initial public offering, and uh, and this was big news. They they entered uh, Nasdaq, that's the the exchange that you can find Amazon on, mm-hmm. and um, it was a uh, it, it was it was interesting because originally analysts predicted that the stock price would be between twelve and fourteen dollars, uh, but then the day before the the day before the the IPO. They adjusted that. First, they adjusted it to say, okay, no, it's going to be 14 to $16. Mm-hmm. Then they adjusted it again and said, mm-hmm. okay, no, it's going to be Maybe. $18. Mm-hmm. $18. We're pretty sure that's what's going to open at. So much anticipation had built up that when it went, uh, uh, when, when it, when the market actually opened, the opening price was $29.25 per wow. share. Uh, yeah, it hit a high of $30 that day, and it closed out the day at $23.50. So it, it was definitely one of those anticipation things where, mm-hmm. you know, 29 bucks. there's a little bit of spring back there, yeah. sure. But, it, this happens. But no, nonetheless, way over what it was originally. Right. Even at $18, it, when it ends at $23.50, that was a great story. And they raised about, in that first day, they raised about $54 million. Wow. Uh, meanwhile... And this time in Amazon's history, they had a deficit of nine million dollars. <laughs> Even uh, d- despite the fact, uh, by the end of the year, they had made a uh, hundred and forty-seven point eight million yeah. in sales. Yeah. See, the problem was that again, their their costs were greater than the revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they never once had a profitable quarter that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was every single quarter they were operating at a loss, but they right. were making more and more money yeah. each time. Yeah. And th- they were also, I mean, they, they opened a second distribution center on the east coast of the United States in Delaware. Do you know why in Delaware? I do not know why in Delaware. <sighs> so anyone who's traveled in the northeast will understand this because uh, everyone who lives anywhere close to Delaware goes to Delaware to do their shopping. Delaware does not have a state sales tax. Oh. One of those places, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife is from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So whenever we do any sort of shopping in the Northeast, we take a little road trip to Delaware. <laughs> uh, this is not by my choice because <laughs> I much prefer convenience over s- saving a buck 25. Uh-huh. I'm like, you know, you know I'll, honey, I'll pay you back. I'll, I'll go out and I'll work an extra podcast if you need me to. <laughs> I, I don't want to go to Delaware. <laughs> By the way, Delaware's lovely. I'm, I just don't want to go on the car I'm sure ride. the drive is gorgeous. Yeah, it's just if you aren't longer than what I prefer. Stick in the mud. Well, I, you know, if you can go like a mile down the street versus a state over. Also, but, I think uh, my Ohio just came out by by referring to you as a stick in the mud. That was really that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would hate to think of what the 
southern version of that would be. Mm. Uh, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you because I'm a nice person. I don't call people things like that. Anyway, so, um, yeah. also in 1997, they became the first online retailer uh, to to one million customers. Yep. And uh, and you know this this is kind of interesting too. You you sit there and think about the fact that Bezos kind of had this vision of totally revolutionizing the way people do shopping. Mm-hmm. And and at first you might think, well, that's just ridiculous. But then it really wasn't that long ago that we had uh, that before before the era of department stores. Mm-hmm. So the department store era totally revolutionized the way people did shopping. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, you know, it's there. There is more than one thing that you sell here. You sell different types of things. Right. I can go to a different department and get clothing, and then another one and get some houseware. That's- right, and it's 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 not a general store where your selection is limited by the actual tiny space. Or if you want to mm-hmm. go back even further. Uh, you know, you're talking about buying things directly from the people who made them or right. from a traveling salesman, as is depicted in the documentary Music Man. Um, the uh, but yeah, the uh, the you know this the, the, it wasn't really that unusual to say we could completely revolutionize. <laughs> Lawrence just I'm, shaking, I'm just her shaking head. my head. Over just, here. I, I was going to be okay, but I was like, no, it's the slow <laughs> disapproval shake of the head for the Music Man reference, and I could not make it through the sentence. But no, the um. <laughs> You know, it, it really wasn't that big of a stretch. Uh, it just was hard to see at the time mm-hmm. because, again, but, the web was so new. Yeah, it was so new. Not that many people. I mean, I mean, ninety ninety seven. Goodness my gracious, that was still. You know, people were still on GeoCities in nineteen ninety seven. Let's not talk about it like it was that long ago because <laughs> I, I was well out of college and married by then. So wow, I was um, in high school. Shut up. Anyway, so so uh, so anyway. 97 comes to an end. That was a big, big year mm-hmm. for Amazon. And in 98, talk about a big year. They hit a, uh, a high of $361 per share. Wow. Um, and, uh, and really in, in 99, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to go back to 98 in a second. Mm-hmm. They, they ended up splitting the stock a couple of times. Now on a stock split, what you're doing is, you know, you're taking, the amount of stock you have, you increase the number of, of stocks based upon that, and you mm-hmm. then reduce the uh, the the value of each individual stock, so okay. that the value of the company remains the same. Um, but you can sell to more people. Right, right. So suddenly you have twice as much stock. It's mm-hmm. worth the same amount collectively as what you had before. But now, if you wanted to sell half of it off, uh, you would still have a, a sizable amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. They did that a couple of times, uh, and they did it in a three to one split, which reduced the the um, the price to just over a hundred dollars per share uh, back in ninety nine. But we'll get into that in just a second. Yeah, uh, ninety eight. They also bought um, uh, another couple. little website uh, yeah. that, that you may have heard of, the uh, Internet Movie Database. Database. Yeah, yeah. What a pleasant place that can be. <laughs> It's, uh, never, never read the comments on anything. On it's, anything it's, it's still, it's still much more civil than YouTube. Well, um, but then so was Moss Eisley. Uh, but yeah, uh, IMDb. Yeah, they they purchased that. So uh, uh, oh, it was an interesting move uh, again because I, for a moment you sit there and say, well, what's up with that? And then. Uh, if you well, knew if you knew where Amazon was going, yeah, it made except, sense. Except for the fact that at the time they had still been selling just books. Yeah, that's all they that sold. That's all they sold up until 1998. But in 1998, they also opened two new Amazon stores, music and DVD video. That's right. And so you think about it. The reason why they started with just books was that 
it was a, it was something that was scalable mm-hmm. and it was uh, a manageable business. And also he had the benefit of, like I said, those two big distributors mm-hmm. with their exhaustive databases. A lot of the work was already done. Now that he's raised money, Bezo- Bezos that is, now that Bezos has raised money and the company's raised money, the company could start to look into diversification, which was kind of the plan all along. Mm-hmm. Um, but really starting with books was the most important step. So once they open up the uh, the music and uh, DVD stores, music, by the way, we're talking about hard C- media, CDs. CDs. Yeah. yeah, we're not talking about uh, digital files yet. Right. Um, you know, once he did that, Bezos also came up with another decision, which was uh, an important one in Amazon's um, uh, existence, and that was that. He wanted to have a lot of control over all of this. It's one of the reasons why it was very it was very important to him for Amazon to own its own warehouses. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was that if a customer put in an order and asked for, say, books from different publishers as well as a CD and uh, a film, mm-hmm. all of that could be placed in one box and sent to the customer as opposed uh-huh. to, okay, here's, here's four boxes. Here's we'll that one from over there yeah. and that one from over there and, and you'll, take you'll, all of these losses or or have to pass that on to the customer and right. just everyone gets angry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, they get two-thirds of their order but the, the, the final third is lost. Or mm-hmm. you know, This way it gave a lot more control to Amazon. That was very important to Bezos. Mm-hmm. So – uh, he had these warehouses and, and decided to make use of them in that way. So here's an example I have created. Mm-hmm. And uh, and listeners, you have a challenge here. The challenge, listeners, is to find out how each one of the items I'm about to list has a connection to me. Because <laughs> I'm an egomaniac and the universe revolves no, around me. No, no, you, <clears throat> Jonathan Strickland. Here is my example. Okay. So I want to order the Ken McKee book. Atlanta Bones. I also want to order a CD of a production of The Rats in the Walls, which was a, you know, an H.P. Lovecraft story that was produced by the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. And I want a copy of the film on DVD. I want a copy of The Signal. So uh, if I put all those orders in on Amazon because they have these warehouses where they have all the different types of media together, they can put that all in one package and send it to me and I get it all in one neat uh, delivery. And uh, so again, listeners, tell me how I'm connected to all three of those things. Uh, they may not be the same connection in each case, by the way. It may be different connections. Moving on, uh, they also <laughs> launched the, uh, the Amazon Advantage program, mm-hmm. which let companies and creators sell their works through Amazon. Mm-hmm. They also uh, acquired major booksellers in the UK and Germany. Yep. Uh, and yeah, it was um, before before the end of the year. Um, and and remember, last year they had hit one million customers. Um, by the end of nineteen ninety eight, they had hit three million. Wow, yeah. So so lots of growth there. Still, of course, not profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything else for ninety eight? Because I'm that's, about rated. That's what I got. All right, let's move on to ninety nine. Oh yeah. Uh, they opened up another fulfillment center. I like that they call them fulfillment centers yes. too. It sounds very you know zen. It's. <laughs> It reminds me of GLaDOS, honestly. But, uh, Welcome to the Fulfillment Center. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> That's not bad. But anyway, this one was in uh, Fernley, Nevada. Now, the reason for opening in Nevada, not having to do directly with uh, that state's sales tax, it was actually more to do with the state of California. Yeah. They wanted to have a fulfillment center that was closer to California to deliver 
to California more quickly. Mm-hmm. But California's sales tax is uh, is fairly complex, and also you know it's something they, that Amazon did not want to deal with. So sure. instead of opening up yeah. a fulfillment center within the state, they opened it in Nevada. Uh-huh. I think they opened actually three other fulfillment centers other than that one. But yeah. I have not re- written down, down where, where they, they are. Were. So. Yeah. Well, at this point forward, they start opening up all a over bunch. the place. Actually, that was another point. Bezos said uh, that. There was a point where he had a discussion with his uh, the other members of the the executive team at mm-hmm. Amazon, and they were saying that he should open up four fulfillment centers, and he said, "No, we should open five fulfillment centers." And they all balked at that because yeah, they said, "Well, why? We 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 need four. What we can use is four. Right. And uh, and he ended up. Uh, getting his way, mm-hmm. Bezos As he, often gets his way. Uh-huh. Uh, not, not, in the, not all the time. Yeah, but. not not all the time. And yeah, there's sometimes where he talks about how some of his employees like came came up to him and gave him a suggestion, and he said, "Ah, eh, it sounds like too much trouble." And then they went ahead and did it anyway, and then came to him with the solution. And he's like, "No oh. one, li- no one listens to me around here." But thank you. <laughs> anyway, um, they did listen to him at this t- point, and they built the five fulfillment centers. And uh, and as as it turns out. Because of the the incredible growth in customer base and, and orders and sales, mm-hmm. that fifth fulfillment center was necessary for them to maintain the customer service that they had, had right. uh, established. Again, just another very forward thinking, very. Uh, I like that phrase. <laughs> I just I just realized. Yes, all right. No, that's fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's let's promote it. Um, yeah, no, you know, I agree. It was it was very important for him to. Uh, to think ahead and to anticipate that, you know, it wasn't just that they, they could not have done the job with four. They might, they might have been able to, mm-hmm. but with five, they were able to do it and ensure the customer service level that they had already established. Yes, with the sort of growth that they were experiencing at the time. Um, yeah, uh, see, so at, uh, at that point, their market value was about $22.1 billion, which meant ow. that they were more valuable than Kmart and JCPenney combined. Now, wow. keep in mind, this is before Kmart had its financial had its problems. Fall through, sure. Um, they also opened six new stores on Amazon.com, consum- consumer electronics, toys and games, home improvement, software, video games, and uh, gift ideas is yep. thrown in there. Yep. Uh, gift, gift ideas is, is one of those uh, user experiences that is also really critical to the way that Amazon has grown and become uh, the leader in online sales. Yeah, they, they really invested heavily in getting programmers to design algorithms that would help customers in their shopping so that – and really help Amazon, ultimately right. to help Amazon. Yeah, to, but the, to sell more stuff. Yeah, the but, idea that, you know, other customers who were interested in this also looked at blah, 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 or, mm-hmm. hey, the, you bought this thing, you might also want this thing. All of those recommendations that you get every single time that you get on Amazon are, are based on a lot of your of what you're looking at, what people that you know yeah. might be looking at. What other people who, yeah, and what other people who, who purchased the same thing you'd bought, mm-hmm. what you know, things they found useful. There have been times where I that service has been invaluable to me. Oh, yeah. Where I've purchased something and I said, hey, you bought this thing. If you want it to work, you may also want this thing. <laughs> like, why, yes, I do want it to work. I will buy that thing. And mm-hmm. sure enough, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't opportunistic and it was genuinely helpful to me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it sounds like it can be opportunistic. And I guess in some cases it can be. But ultimately, it's trying to give the consumer the best experience, because if it's not, then it isn't working and it's just mm-hmm. a distraction. Um, also, this is what makes some of those really snarky Amazon.com uh, uh, product reviews so incredibly entertaining. Yes. If you've ever found one of the products that just has 
people writing up uh, complete farcical. Yeah, the, the really there's there's a, a, a two of my favorites are the uh, Bic for her. Yes, the, oh, those are so those are so funny. That was delightful. That that, that was that was Bic's venture into pens for women, yes. and they were all pastel colors and I guess ergonomic for lady fingers. I'm yeah. not I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, that means fingers belonging to a lady, and not, not, the, not delicious the delicious dessert. dessert. Yeah, <laughs> not the delicious snack cake. Um, <laughs> that that one and uh, my my current favorite is that banana slicer. Oh yes, yes, yeah. that's a good one. No, there's a whole bunch too. There's one that's like for gallons of milk. There was yes. one that was for uh, for for a spe- specific kind of warning tape. Uh, it was a kind of duct tape. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one for uh, for enriched uranium. Uh, <laughs> there's some fun ones out there. And and the nice thing is is that because Amazon's algorithms work, it actually will point you to other ridiculous products that wow. also have. And I, I oh, don't that know. Is delightful. I don't know that that's intentional. But mm-hmm. it does work, and it's funny. <laughs> it's a great way to lose an entire afternoon, by the way. It is. It is. Uh, they also ended up launching a product called Amazon Auctions, which was kind of their answer to eBay. Right, right. Um, it ended up not really getting a lot of traction, and uh, and eventually they would abandon uh, Amazon Auctions. Uh, and that's not unusual. In fact, for Amazon, they've, they've got quite a few projects that they ultimately – Either phased out or made or it. yeah reincorporated in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Kind of took down piecemeal. Um, Z Shops is another thing that they opened yep. in 1999, which was their third-party retailer uh, outlet. Yeah, they eventually phased that out in favor of the marketplace. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's another. That's a great example. That was where they built in all these features, and then they said, oh, "This isn't yeah, working. It's not quite working. Let's rebrand yeah. it. Let's let's yeah. let's tweak it." Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe incorporate some of the stuff in something new. They also acquired a company called Tool Crib of the North. Uh, they inqu- they acquired their online and catalog sales. There okay. was a great story about Bezos saying, talking about how how to make it profitable to to ship a one ton uh, drill <laughs> right. press. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That was kind of funny. Um, like you said, they started offering up lots of other products mm-hmm. uh, in various categories. Um, oh, and from a, a great article in Wired. I know I mention Wired all the time, but they really do some great stuff. In, they, in a 1999 edition of Wired, uh, in an article called The Inner Bezos, hmm. uh, there was a quote. Uh, One thing to keep in mind, this is from Bezos, he says, is for many of these people, meaning the people who are suddenly wealthy in Amazon, mm-hmm. the wealth that they have is paper wealth, and it will exist at that level only for as long as we continue to serve our customers well. So what he's saying here is that there were people in Amazon who had become millionaires sure. because they owned stock in the company, and the company's stock was on the rise. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bezos was pointing out, like, well, yeah, if you look at it on paper, we're millionaires. But in reality, if we would have to cash out and liquidate all those assets in order to really uh-huh. be millionaires. And so we have a responsibility to, to keep our company moving uh, moving ahead and being in good shape. This is uh, incredibly important because this is what he's saying in 1999. In 1999. And, uh, uh, well, it, but before, were you about yeah, to move on? No, no, no. Gonna, I'm okay. going to say, like, in a, in a year... Yeah. That's going to be a very prophetic a, thing. Right. Yeah, and, and yes, uh, that, that was, yeah, 1999 was also the year that uh, Bezos was named Times Person of the Year. That's true. Yeah, that's a big deal. And also, um, that was the year that Barnes & Noble made a move that was potentially scary for yeah. Amazon. They purchased Ingram, oh, one of those two, of those two giant distributors. Distributors, mm-hmm. yeah. And Barnes & Noble... And Amazon obviously competed 
uh, right. in the space of as far as booksellers go. Mm-hmm. And and Barnes and Noble was probably out of all the other you know uh, brick and mortar stores, they were been, the ones doing the doing the best job. And they were extremely savvy. They have been for for basically their entire mm-hmm. in, in the publishing industry as compared to other big box stores. Yeah. Say for example, Borders that um, didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. And and really. Barnes and Noble and, and Amazon had been competing quite a bit. Uh, and so that, that kind of raised some potential threats. But, uh, but Amazon was actually working very hard to create relationships directly with publishers. Right. So in a, a sense, you skip the distributor entirely and you go straight to the publisher. This would, of course, m- change even more in the future when we talk about e-publishing. But right. We're, we're, right. We're still years away from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, we kind of move into 2000, and this is this is a monumental year on the web. It's also where we're going to conclude this episode. Uh, 2000 is when in March 2000 specifically. In fact, if you want to get really specific, March 10th 2000 <laughs> is when the the dot com bubble burst. Now, this was something that happened because uh, the web was seen as this. Wild West land of opportunity. It was like mm-hmm. the gold rush days. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone was was out in uh, uh, Silicon Valley and yeah. doing crazy stuff, and everyone was really psyched about it and running yeah. around. And everyone's and- saying like, "This is the way we're going to be able to print our own money." Essentially, we're going to be uh, we're going to be uh, so rich. And you had lots of dot com companies going public and raising crazy amounts of money in in crazy stock deals, and employees being paid in stock and said like, "Yeah, okay, well, we can't afford to actually pay you a paycheck, but here." <laughs> Here's a here's ten thousand shares in the company. You it's are just now as good. Yeah, Surely nothing will go wrong. <laughs> Overnight, you're a millionaire. So mm-hmm. just like Bezos was saying, like on paper, these people were millionaires. Mm-hmm. But uh, the problem was that uh, the expectations of how the web was going to deliver versus the reality of what it actually could deliver didn't match up. And right. then investors started getting scared because yeah. they're saying, wait a minute, I thought this was going to just be a, a license to print money, but now I'm not seeing any return on my investment. I'm getting out. Right, right. And and, and, and there were a lot of reasons for it. I mean, there, there was an infrastructure <clears throat> problem uh, where, you know, not, not enough people were online yeah. to really, you there know, were, it's... And there were a lot of companies that were just terrible at managing their funds. I oh, mean, yeah. This is one of those things I've talked about in the past, how a small company could get a, a huge amount of, of money and then mismanage it terribly because they that wasn't what they were expecting. Like uh-huh. their their operating costs would have been at a certain level. They raise way more money than that, mm-hmm. and then they say, "Well, heck, let's get a penthouse suite for everyone. Yeah. Everyone gets a super cool desk made out of steel and glass. <laughs> we're all Lex Luthor in this world." And then you know eventually they think, "Oh, wait a minute, we were supposed to deliver something for all that money they gave us instead of just you know giving ourselves these amazing offices mm-hmm. and things started to fall apart yeah and uh you know th- it's not that the people were necessarily bad people, it's just oh, that sure. things didn't work mistakes out. Were made. yeah and uh and actually, Amazon was hurt by this in multiple ways, one of which was that you know it, it, unlike the other companies, it had not expanded so uh far so dramatically its means. right mm-hmm. um but they did invest in yeah, a lot Bezos of Yeah, Bezos had invested in a lot of other stuff and took dramatic losses. Yeah, like pets.com, living.com, cosmo.com. He said yeah. specifically, here's another quote from that article. Mm-hmm. We invested in a lot of high-profile flameouts. The only good thing is we had lots of company. It didn't take us off our mission, but it was a waste of capital. So in other words, you know, a company that already has not 
turned a profit Mm -hmm. has lost more money in bad investments. This would not Mm -hmm. be the only time this happens. (laughs) We've got some other investments coming up in our next episode. Yeah. Uh, But uh, I mean, I mean, meanwhile, they I mean, a lot of stuff happened for Amazon in 2000. They they launched Amazon France, Amazon Japan. Yeah. and uh, uh, they launched Marketplace, which Marketplace. would would eventually replace Z Shops. At this point, they were two separate entities. Okay. Um, they started selling uh, kitchen goods and also camera and photo. Yep. So you know, Amazon's still diversifying, mm-hmm. but but 2000 was a, a tough year, and that was a tough year for companies across the web. We saw lots and lots of them fold, and we even saw big ones like Amazon take a hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's a good place for us to wrap up. In our next episode, we will talk about how Amazon went from possibly the lowest point of the company as far as the market value is concerned to really turning it around and becoming uh, you know, a juggernaut mm-hmm. uh, again in industry. And, and again, it's another way of... Uh, and, pointing out that there is no such thing as being too big to fail. And mm-hmm. also we'll learn more about Bezos' uh, fascination with space. But uh, that's uh, that's in our next episode. So guys, if you have any requests for things that we should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, I highly recommend you get in touch with us. Let us know in an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both of those locations is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again about Amazon, as it turns out, really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 